Welcome to the Mainline Podcast. I'm Adam Jacquez, joined as always by Tyler Burton. Today, we're talking about a former Sooner that we would add to the 2023 team. We'll talk a little bit about some football recruiting, as well as give you a preview of the softball regional that's going to happen this weekend in Norman. And then, of course, we'll wrap things up with baseball, talking bubble watch, and of course, what OU needs to do in order to take down OSU in Bedlam. Tyler, how are you doing this evening? I'm good, Adam. Things are going well out here in Colorado. Weather's finally warming up. It's going to be nice to get back out on the golf course. Was able to have some family in town from this past weekend. Got a few more family members showing up this upcoming weekend. So uh, softball postseason play kicks off. PGA Championship weekend uh, or week uh, kicks off tomorrow with the first round. So things are good, man. Couldn't uh, couldn't be happier. What's uh, What's going on back in the 405? I kind of miss it these days. Yeah, I mean, we're getting ready for some postseason uh, stick sports. Um, so I think I'll be heading down to actually uh, Bedlam Baseball this weekend instead of, nice. of softball. Um, but that's kind of where my allegiance lies, at least firstly, uh, just based on my my past history of, of overseeing the ticketing and some of the sales there for baseball. So easier easier ticket to get this week, that's for sure. Definitely the case. But <laughs> well, I would I would I expect that we'll, I would expect Bedlam would would bring out the crowd. Yeah, in I think we'll do pretty well. We'll see. The The weather on Friday could be a little iffy, maybe some rain, maybe some storms. And then it is a thir- Thursday, Friday, Saturday series instead of the traditional Friday, Saturday, Sunday in order to give some more rest as the Big 12 tournament will start up next uh, next Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. And we'll dive a little bit more into baseball as we uh, wrap up the podcast. But let's start with football here. Uh, we, we asked on Twitter, and we'll get into some Twitter responses here in a moment, but you know, we're kind of thinking back, Hey, you know, in our lifetime, we've been OU fans. We're a little bit younger than some people, uh, but we've been OU fans since at least 2000. So since then, what former OU player would you add to the 2023 team that would make the biggest difference for this year? And so what we're going to do here is go a little bit of back and forth, a draft. Mm-hmm. We'll each pick one for offense, one for defense. And Tyler, I'll give you the first pick here. You can go either side of the ball. Yeah, I'll start with offense on this one. And again, there's so many different directions that you could take. So many good players that have, you know, graced us with their uh, their play on Nolan Field over the last 20, you know, 22 years. Um, obviously, a lot of people might want to say, you know, just do the simple route, take an Adrian Peterson, take a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback over the last five to six years. But I think when you look at the, the current makeup of this offense going into the upcoming season, I think that the quarterback uh, position is one where uh, Dylan Gabriel – when he's playing his best game, when he's when his A plus brand of football is, is clicking, uh, I think that this team is good enough to win ten plus games and, and compete for a conference championship. So I'm going to stay away from the quarterback position, uh, and I'm actually going to go out to wide receiver. That's a position group where there's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, there's a lot of unproven guys in that in that room. Our most experienced guys are Jalil Farouk and Drake Stoops, who you know um, have made their fair share of plays over the last couple of seasons. But th- it kind of feels like this wide receiver room truly lacks that that dynamic elite playmaker so um it's kind of it's kind of cliche but i'm going to go back uh, to my you know my dallas cowboys i'm going to take cd lamb uh as being the guy that i would add to this uh, offense for the 2023 season i think the uh, offensive line uh is going to be uh, is going to be very formidable especially once you get walter rouse back he can kind of lock up that left tackle position uh to go along with the other four starters uh, bill beanbow's got some great options to choose from so we'll see what that offensive line looks like uh, once conference play rolls around. But, yeah, I think C.D. Lamb, uh, you know, in, in my opinion, I know that we've seen some good ones over the last 20 years. Mark Clayton, Ryan Boy- Broyles, Shep, D.D., Hollywood, the list goes on and on. Uh, but it, just in terms of, you know, the the complete package of a wide receiver, you got to start with C.D. Lamb when talking about, you know, the all-time greats in an OU uniform. So uh, give me two 
Uh, give me uh, CD Lamb uh, added to the uh, 2023 team. I kind of had a feeling that you would go to wide receiver, and I thought that's great because I don't value that position nearly as highly as you do, I think. I think it's kind of like running back where I think you can throw out a lot of different guys, and OU's gotten some good uh, freshman additions, some portal transfers that have come in. Andrew Anthony comes to mind, Brennan Thompson recently coming up from Texas. Uh, there's a lot of guys that I think could really blossom. Maybe they just need the opportunity. So I'm actually going to go to – my very first overall pick, and I'm glad you didn't take him. I'm going with zero sacks allowed, Creed Humphrey, placing him back in the middle of that mm-hmm. offensive line. He's an all-pro center. I think he could do a lot for this offensive line, whether that's, hey, Raym can move over to a guard position, or maybe he strengthens just the whoever the guards are that are next to him. He can be that point of attack. He can you know direct the offensive line. I think that would be such a significant boost to the overall offense um, you know, across the board. I did consider quarterback as well, but for the same reasons you mentioned, I think Dylan Gabriel has enough. <laughs> I don't, I, I'm, it feels like I'm almost discounting a Kyler Murray, for example, if mm-hmm. I say that there's, there's not that big of a gap because there is a big gap, but I think Creed Humphrey is very effective uh, as, as a role that this team could really need in the point of attack there right in the middle of the mm-hmm. line. Let me ask you this. Would I have been crazy if I had said a Jermaine Gresham or a Mark Andrews? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, well here's give, my thought light on yeah, that. Give me, give me it, some more info on that. I think I would have gone Jermaine Gresham there. I think he's a better blocker than Mark Andrews uh, was as a college player. And I think that he would have been a very effective middle of the field receiver for Dylan Gabriel. That's something that fans want a lot to, to see a lot more of is middle of the field passing. I think he could have been uh, an effective big body target. Maybe we'll get that out of Stogner, but I think Gresham is the superior athlete, superior player, at least. I mean, that's a fairly obvious statement, but that's just kind of what I was thinking there. I mean, I definitely wouldn't hurt uh, having Mark Andrews or or Jermaine Gresham added to the roster for this upcoming season. But I think that Stogner, uh, if we can get Jace Llewell and Caden Helms healthy, um, get them acclimated, obviously, you know, they're now in, they've got multiple years of experience inside the program, but uh, I really do like the Creed Humphrey pick. Obviously, the center position—that's the anchor. That's the—that's uh, kind of the glue that you know uh, ties all eleven guys together. Because it doesn't matter how elite you are out on the out on the perimeter, how good of a quarterback you have. Yes, when you've got a guy like Kyler Murray, he can hide uh, some deficiencies um, in, in on your offense. But if you've got a guy in an All Pro center in Creed Humphrey, who I mean, let's face it, probably if not the top center, he's at least top three in the NFL right now, if you were able to have him come back, you know, under Bill Biedenboe uh, to kind of stabilize and help that offensive line position group, um, you know, spring forward a little bit. Yeah, I think Creed Humphrey uh, by far and away is the uh, the best offensive lineman choice that you can make, maybe outside of a, or, or Orlando Brown. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that the the two tackles that Oklahoma is going to have uh, starting uh, game one this year with Rouse and Guyton, um, center position on the interior is really kind of, you know, if there is a question mark <clears throat> on this offensive line, it starts on the interior for me. So Creed Humphrey would be a good one as well. Adam, since I took the first pick, I'm going to flip it back over to you. We're going to go defense. If you could have one former uh, def- defensive guy, uh, who would you uh, bring back to the 2023 team over the last 20 years? Kind of feel like we're going to be in the same line of thinking on this one. <laughs> yeah. I tried so hard to rack my brain around like, is there something, a different angle, a way to answer this question that's not super obvious that everyone's kind of saying, yeah, 
the defensive tackle position. And we did get quite a few responses on Twitter uh, that did say, hey, you know, Leroy Selman, uh, I know Danny uh, Bayal said that on there. Uh, Scott Dawson said that on Twitter as well. That's before my time. So, and before kind of where we're looking at this, we're looking at just since 2000. Uh, so I, I really couldn't think of that. I was like, man, you know, Dan, uh, Danny Stutzman's great. Is there maybe a marginal upgrade or maybe is there like a sidekick linebacker I could add to that? And I was like, yes, I could, but I don't think it raises the ceiling nearly as much as, as that defensive tackle position. So for that reason, I got to go with Tommy Harris. It's a little bit boring, but like it would be super effective to have uh, mm-hmm. someone like him on this defense. And really, I think change the overall outlook from, yes, they can improve a lot to, okay, they can be probably elite and one of the top. 20 defenses in the country yeah I, I had uh, two defensive tackles uh, as my first two options here on the board and Tommy Harris and Gerald McCoy so you taking Tommy I'm obviously going to switch position groups a little bit I, I like where this defense and again it's hard to say that you like where this defense sits right now coming off of a six and seven season disappointing effort you know from this uh from this group from a year ago um I think that there's a lot of promising uh talent there's a lot of potential, especially with what Oklahoma has returning uh, to go along with what Oklahoma brought in in the transfer portal, you know, in particularly Rondell Bothroyd. Uh, so I'm going to stay away from the defensive line. Secondary, I feel probably the this is the best that I've felt about the, the Oklahoma secondary in quite some time, maybe since the Aaron Colvin, you know, Tony Jefferson, Zach Sanchez days. Um, so I feel good about the, the guys that we've got in the back end of that defense. So I'm going to go linebacker position here. Yes, I like Danny Stutzman. That's obviously that's the alpha uh, on that defense for this upcoming season. But who who are you going to have playing next to him? Obviously, it's a battle right now with what we're hearing. Uh, Kobe McKenzie, Jaron Canick, those two guys are going to be fighting for uh, you know uh, linebacker one. Uh, obviously, when the uh, the season kicks off, but. I, I think that a good guy that you could plug into this situation that would ultimately, you know, take this defense to the next level at the linebacker position. I'm going to kind of kind of go off the radar here. I'm going to go Rufus Alexander, a guy that when he was, you know, during his time at, at Oklahoma, uh, you go back and you watch the tape, you watch this guy uh, on on defense. Or, I mean, just just dominant is the word that comes to mind. You know, playing coverage, uh, playing the running game. Uh, Rufus would be a, a tremendous addition. So I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with Rufus uh, here. I want to go with Roy Williams, but you know what? I like what I've got in the safety position right now. I feel comfortable with uh, with what Brandon Hall is, is coaching up in that room. So give me uh, give me Rufus Alexander uh, to plug in there right now. And you're looking at him as a sidekick to Danny Stutzman. So replacing a Canik, is that what I'm I'm hearing? Replacing a Canik, but uh, I think in that situation, you throw Rufus Alexander out there, uh, Danny Stutzman uh, becomes the Robin uh, to Rufus okay. Batman. Yeah, so, that makes yeah, sense. I, I mean, I hate to do it, love you twenty eight, but uh, yeah, that's kind of what that's kind of where we're at right now. If you had a two headed monster at, at linebacker of Rufus Alexander, Danny Stutzman for this upcoming season with you know Brent Venables coaching those guys up, man, man, the things you could do. So. We tweeted about it a uh, maybe it was like a week or a week and a half ago about how Danny Stutzman last year. And I know it's a little bit of cherry picking. It's kind of like in the NBA when you go, this guy is one of you know three players ever to have seven rebounds, 10 points and 18 blocks or, you know, something crazy. Yeah. And it's always like, oh, it's LeBron, Oscar Robertson and like Russell Westbrook or something. Yeah. So it's a little bit what we did there. But we basically said, hey, Danny was like one of I think it was four or five OU players. Yeah since 2000 that had two interceptions and over a hundred tackles in a mm-hmm. season. And pretty much all of them happened under Brent Venables, except for one, uh, which was Tony Jefferson. And it was the year right after Brent left. So he'd been right. clearly coached up in that scheme and everything. Brent's guy. Um, Brent's guy. But the point is that Danny Stutzman got there last year and wasn't 
you know, at his max level. So mm -hmm. what more can Brent get out of him? Not just from what Danny can do personally, but getting the scheme and everything around him to work properly too. Um, definitely. High well, I think, I think that's what, I think that's what's got, you know, not just coaches and his teammates, but that's, what's got so many fans excited about as well. It almost kind of feels like you go back and you look at some of the premier linebackers that Brent Venables has coached over the last 20 years, the jump that they make from year one to two in his defensive scheme, I kind of feel like we're just scratching the surface on what Danny's going to be able to do and how he's going to be able to perform, you know, now that he's a little bit more comfortable, uh, you know, he's in another year with Schmitty. So I'm expecting big things out of 28 for this upcoming season. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. We tweeted out this morning, a basically a big recruiting graphic, just some, just a, a small portion mm -hmm. of the visitors that are coming in for the big barbecue in mid June. There's, I think over six or seven, maybe even more than that, different guys that are in the top 150 across most recruiting services. Um, and so if you haven't seen that tweet, definitely check it out. Our Twitter is linked in our show notes here. Um, but some big names, a lot of defensive guys. You've got uh, Nigel Smith, Williams Winery, David Stone's coming out for that. Uh, you've got uh, both the running backs, Caden Durham and Taylor Tatum coming in. Sammy Brown uh, might be the one guy that maybe is the biggest long shot there. Uh, Joseph Jonah Ajanye was also on that graphic as well. He's one of those fantastic four, uh, fearsome four that we've kind of coined there. Is there one particular recruit that's coming in for that weekend that's confirmed at this point? And it could be someone off the radar there that I didn't just mention, but is there someone that stands out to you that you go, that's the guy that I want you know, more than anyone else? Well, I think that there's three guys that kind of come to mind. Obviously, you know, defensive tackle is going to be one that Oklahoma fans are, you know, going to be kind of in a wait and see mode, you know, constantly wanting the updates on how's the visit going, you know, is the staff, you know, connecting with mom and dad? What is Oklahoma doing that's separating themselves from the pack, you know, from the Tennessees, the Alabamas, Georgias, Ohio States, Texas A&M, to even throw them in the mix as well, because all of these elite guys that you've got coming to campus uh, for, the, for that uh, second weekend in June, um, Oklahoma is going to be in a big time battle for us. So for me, it kind of starts out uh, running back Caden Durham, who I know that right now Oklahoma's in a pretty, pretty heated, intense battle with LSU right now. Obviously, the, the connections that Caden has to the state of Oklahoma, to OU, um, that's something that OU's got playing in their favor right now. But obviously, there's a lot of momentum on the Tigers side of things. So having him back up for another visit, more face time uh, with Caden, with, with DeMarco Murray, that's obviously, uh, you know, that, that can't hurt whatsoever. And even though it's a little bit of a long shot, I look at a guy like linebacker Sammy Brown, who obviously the connections that he has go uh, with, uh, you know, Clemson and ultimately with Georgia, it kind of feels like Clemson is maybe a step or two above everybody else in terms of leading for the recruitment of, uh, of Sammy B. So the fact that Oklahoma was able to get an official visit out of this kid, being able to get him back on campus for, you know, an all expenses paid trip three days in Norman, with this coaching staff, we know that Oklahoma is going to pull out the red carpet. We're going to have a lot of former alums, you know, some of the all-time linebackers that have played the position here at Oklahoma. They're going to roll out the red carpet for each and every one of these guys, and I hope that Sammy Brown, the the visit that he has in June, I hope that that can at least get him thinking, okay, I could actually see this, you know, becoming a real possibility. Me playing in this Brent Venables defense, and then the one that kind of, the the one that kind of rounds this thing out for me is uh, Williams Winery. Uh, and again, sorry, sorry about that one. But obviously, any time that you can bring in a five-star defensive uh, lineman who you know is a is a top three player in, in his position group across the country, a top ten to fifteen guy in the, in the on three rankings, 
with Oklahoma transitioning to the SEC, you have to be able to bring in talent like this so that you can compete in that division on a week-in, week-out basis. So those are three for me. Obviously, you would hope to you hope that you want to land all of them. Uh, but if you gave me three guys that you could, you know, a, a dream type scenario, a dream wish list, uh, give me Caden Durham, Sammy Brown, and Williams Winery. So. Um, yeah, Williams Winery was the one that I have circled because some of those guys are using a great position for almost to the point where it's like, man, mm-hmm. and I, I knock on wood, I'm not as worried about some of them as others. Williams Winery is one that I think is obviously very high on OU. Some people would say OU leads there, but you've also got Tennessee lurking in, in the picture as well. And so that's one where I think 247 Sports has him ranked mm-hmm. as the number two overall recruit in the entire nation. Yep. You have so much on your side right now. He's from Caden Dur- uh, Green. almost said Caden Durham. Caden Green, our offensive guard, uh, you know, four-star that we got last year. He's from that same high school. So there's a lot of relationships there. He's familiar with P.J. Adabare. There's there's so much going on there. I think OU has the proximity advantage over Tennessee, obviously. So you'd like to be able to win that battle and just stack up elite defensive line mm-hmm. talent. Um, David Stone, obviously, in, in the conversation there as well. But um, I think he's the one that I think would be probably the biggest win because I think you may have the longest to go to get him. Not because Tennessee is the favorite or anything. I just think there's a longer path or journey there to locking up that commitment. And this barbecue could go a long way there uh, in, in getting him. Yeah, this thing is far from over, but uh, I can tell you from some of the things that we're kind of hearing by, behind the scenes, Oklahoma and you know Williams one area, they feel pretty good about the position that the Sooners are sitting in right now. Obviously, in the month of May, but uh, one of the things that is kind of uh, in Oklahoma's favor right now, which again, if you're a five star, you know, top five player in the country, you're not worried about any really any of the other guys that are going to be joining you. Uh, you know, in your recruiting class, like you think that you're, you know, you, you think that you're that good, you're going to be able to to go in there and compete and earn a spot over each and every one of them. But uh, Tennessee has gotten two uh, defensive end commitments, um, you know, just in the last month or two. They got the second one today. So those are two guys that Josh Heupel's bringing in, you know, two guys that are in the same position group as Williams Winery. So um, I, I like the direction. I like the relationship that Todd Bates and Miguel Chavis are continuing to build with this kid. Obviously, you alluded to the connections that Oklahoma has got with this guy through Caden Green, through PGA Atabare. Uh, Oklahoma is kind of making, you know, that uh, that Kansas City area almost kind of, you know, North Dallas in a sense where Oklahoma is really making that state a priority, particularly that area. So it's going to be a big weekend. Uh, The the visitor list that is already coming together has already got a a huge number of big time names. And uh, we expect more names uh, to be added to that as we inch closer and closer to that June 16th date. One name that as of right now will not be at the barbecue because it's uh, just hasn't happened yet there. Mm-hmm. They need to get a little further down the line, but he will be on campus in Norman this weekend mm-hmm. is Danny Okoye. And we talk about Williams Winery and the battle with Tennessee there. Kellen Lindstrom, the defensive end from Springfield, Missouri, that came down to an OU Tennessee battle. He committed to Tennessee maybe a week or two ago. Danny Okoye also an OU Tennessee battle at this point, but OU coming back into the picture at this point, and it looks like he's one that reached out to OU at this point because things had really cooled down. But now I think, you know, it's it's something where he said, hey, I, I raised my hand. Maybe I'm starting to feel like I want to be a little bit closer to home. Maybe I'm being influenced by people around me in the Tulsa area. Um, mm-hmm. This is a guy that comes out of uh, a program in NOAA. That's the homeschool uh, team that's in Tulsa. And this isn't, uh, this isn't can, like the homeschool. You can homeschool- relate. 
You can relate. I can relate. I, I played in a homeschool league growing up. Now, that very, very different quality of league there. Uh, NOAA is, is a program that has produced talent. Leron Stokes, um, you know, OU fans are familiar with him. I know he wasn't like a star or anything, but just making it to OU is a big deal. Um, they've got another offensive lineman there that could potentially go um, power five. He's going at least D1, in my opinion, somewhere. Mm-hmm. So this is a program that that has talent, and Daniel Okoye is, is proof of that. He's rated very highly across the board pretty much wherever you look uh, in recruiting services. And it's, again, it's this staff, Miguel Chavis, Todd Bates, Brent Venables, just stacking up more and more elite guys that are visiting, considering mm-hmm. OU that if one guy falls through, you've got a backup <clears throat> option. That's great. Yeah. And it's a good backup option to have. Obviously, you know, we're, we'll see what kind of comes out of the visit this upcoming weekend with Danny coming to Norman. But when you look at the the position that Oklahoma, you know, particularly Miguel Chavis and Todd Bates, the the good standing that they uh, are uh, are in with, you know, some of these elite guys like a David Stone, Nigel Smith, you know, Joseph Jonah, Jeanier, um, it it never hurts the the fact that you can have you know an on three top one you know top one seventy five kid you know just a couple hours down the road now. Is that something where it, it could result in Danny having a spot at Oklahoma? I'm not sure how how much you know. You obviously you want to keep as much of the elite in-state talent in you know in your backyard as possible, uh, but you almost kind of wonder if that is something that's going to be committable uh, right away. With obviously a lot of you know big fish out there uh, still for Oklahoma to try to reel in. But I mean, this is a guy four-star edge, six foot five, two hundred thirty-five pounds. You know, out of the state or out of Tulsa. So uh, I'm very interested to see what this is going to look like because there's already one school uh, a little bit further north up I-35 that's kind of dropped the ball with this kid from some of the things uh, that's kind of come out. We'll see what Oklahoma can do this upcoming weekend uh, to continue to build that relationship with Danny and put themselves in a good position uh, to maybe close out on this kid a little bit closer to signing day. It's a little bit harsh to say this, but I think we've seen some of it already happen. And for me with Okoye, or whoever it is that's a top 150, top 200 player, I say their numbers are not a problem. We will talk to Reggie Grimes. We will talk to Ethan Downs. We'll talk to whoever it is that we need to talk to to make room or, or space for you here. Mm-hmm. So uh, I know that's a little harsh because we it, we still have high hopes for for some of those guys to contribute at some point. But but I mean, you know, you know Adam, it is fascinating looking at the the talent and the just the bodies that Miguel Chavis especially is stacking at that defensive end rush position I mean uh, you talked about you know Reggie Grimes Ethan Downs coming you know coming back from a year ago throwing PJ out of Barre but then you're also bringing in guys like Trace Ford and Rondell Bothroyd uh, and then the, the guy that Oklahoma added yesterday the Juco transfer uh, you know uh, Laini Lane Jenkins uh, at a Butler Community College so um, yeah. getting after the quarterback is obviously a big priority uh, for for this defense this upcoming year because Oklahoma struggled to get after the quarterback last season uh, and it's clear that Brent Venables, Ted Roof, and uh, the rest of that coaching staff they're making it a priority uh, because that's something that's got to change you know this upcoming fall. The talent is absolutely starting to stack up mm-hmm. along that mm-hmm. defensive line. Now a team that has already stacked up a ton of talent is softball and <laughs> postseason play is coming up. Uh, it's it's the Norman Regional. Yep. It's it's kind of almost something that we've all moved past in our minds, maybe even past the super regional in some ways, but there's still games to be played this weekend. Uh, We've got Hofstra to lead us off. We've got Missouri in the regional. We've got Cal in the regional. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tyler, we won't go deep dive into everything here because we expect OU probably not to lose a game here. These teams are 
uh, you know, I think all three of them, I don't, I don't know about Hofstra, but I know about Cal and Mizzou come in with losing records in conference play. So not exactly the highest quality, but that's what you'd expect for the number one overall seed mm-hmm. to be facing in their, their first regional. Is there a team, or I guess give me the team that does kind of make you the most nervous, if any at all? Well, I, th- I think that when you look at this region as a whole and you kind of start looking at, you know, each of these three opponents that Oklahoma is going to have an opportunity to match up against, obviously you start with the opponent that's uh, Oklahoma is going to be taking on, you know, 4 p.m. on Friday, and that's Hofstra, a team that finished below 500, you know, total in their record, but they're coming off of a 16-7 and in-conference record where they won the Colonial Athletic Association Championship. So um, there's really not too much about Hofstra that, you know, scares you. Like I said, if, if Oklahoma plays their A game, they're, they're going to it's going to be a cakewalk. Uh, for, play their over, C game. And absolutely. I mean, if, if there's, you know, just kind of one name that Oklahoma fans, you know, going out to Marita Hines Field or watch on TV this weekend, when you look at what Hofstra does uh, at the plate, it starts with number 18, Megan uh, Giordano. Uh, the best hitter on this I team like by far, 352 batting average, 15 home runs. So she does have the ability uh, to, to hit the long ball at any given moment. But um, I mean, obviously the, the brand of competition that Hofstra's played all season long, it's it's not good. Um, so for me, when you kind of look at the, the back and forth between Missouri and California, obviously Missouri, you know, the record is a little bit inflated by some of the opponents that they were able to stack wins against in the non-conference schedule. Uh, but seven and 17 in conference play in the sec, uh, they got swept by Kentucky and Alabama. They lost two out of three against Ole Miss, LSU and Texas A&M. Uh, and then, and by the way, they also have losses this year to Texas and Oklahoma state who Oklahoma is undefeated against. Uh, this this season so Missouri I'm not anything that I'm too uh, too terribly worried about Cal though if you made me pick one out of one of the, uh, the uh, one of the three teams that Oklahoma could match up with against this week Cal has the ability I think to give to to test Oklahoma in a sense obviously they come in come into this regional 33 19 and one on the year uh, below 500 record however in the Pac-12 but the Pac-12 probably the second best uh, conference this year in softball uh, from top to bottom. They lost two out of three to UCLA and Stanford, but they were able to take two out of three against Utah and take two out of three against the Wildcats of Arizona. And, you know, ultimately they lost in the conference championship game against uh, against Utah. But again, it's it's less about what challenges and what, uh, what the other three teams possess. And it's more about if Oklahoma just goes out there, uh, plays, you know, plays Patty Gasso type softball, uh, Oklahoma should uh, it, it should be a cakewalk for for this team this upcoming uh, this upcoming weekend. And Patty Gasso, uh, for those that haven't listened uh, to her interview on the Oklahoma breakdown with uh, Teddy Lehman and Gabe Eichard, or Eichard, she almost kind of got ahead of herself a little bit uh, when they were talking about uh, if there's going to be a little bit uh, if there's going to be some emotions, a little bit of sentimental uh, feelings over the next couple of weekends. Obviously, with the last few games being played at Marita Hines Field. And Patty kind of slipped up saying, yeah, Marita Hines is already making plans to attend the Super Regionals. So got to take care of business this upcoming weekend, but you can just kind of tell how good Oklahoma's offense is, how well the pitching staff has been uh, over the course of the 52 games this season. Uh, Oklahoma sits in really good position to advance to the Super Regional. And what could be a good matchup against the number 16 Clemson team if they can hold serve uh, at home this weekend as well? Yeah, 100% agree with you there. It really is up to OU how badly they want to uh, defeat these teams in the regional. I, I don't really respect Mizzou. They really don't have – they have one signature win in a series. Like, you know, they they took one game from Auburn. They took one game from Florida, one game from Bama. Like, it's just not consistent enough there. Cal is a little bit more consistent. I know a lot of people will point to, hey, they run-ruled UCLA. 
They also turned around and got run ruled the very next day mm-hmm. on that game. So I do put a little more value in the fact that they took the series from UCLA or Utah. They took the series from Arizona. They got swept by Washington at the same time. So like there's, they're very much inconsistent up and down at the same time, but slightly more so than Cal. But yeah, I agree. I, I would really like to see Clemson uh, come to come to Norman, especially after all the chirping that they did on Twitter earlier mm-hmm. in the year when they were, I think, undefeated or maybe had one loss. Kind of reminds me of when uh, Central Florida was chirping last year on Twitter, and they came and absolutely got steamrolled by the Sooners in the Super Regionals. Now Clemson's got a tough, c- tough draw there. We might see uh, the Campbell Camels make it out of that one, so mm-hmm. uh, that would be an interesting one to welcome to Norman. So we'll see what happens there, but yeah, not not too worried about anything with softball. Are we concerned at all at the for Oklahoma this weekend? The fact that they don't have any players in contention for National Player of the Year is that a concern at all? Does, is Oklahoma talented enough <laughs> to be able to go out there this weekend and advance to the Super Regional? Yeah, I wish there was a better way to measure what Jada Coleman means to the Sooner team because when you're walking amongst giants, it's hard to appreciate how tall one individual giant is, so to speak. And that's because you look back over the course of the season and you go, hey, man, Jada Coleman was super clutch. She did a lot of great things for this team, but... Kinsey Hansen also had some clutch hits. Alyssa Brito had some clutch hits. Mm-hmm. Jordy Ball had some clutch moments running the bases just recently. So there's so much about this team that is so great that it's, you almost lose the greatness of what Jada Coleman was able to accomplish for this team. Uh, and then on top of that, you know, all the run rules that come into play, it takes away from this, the stat line and what she's able to accomplish there. So she may not always have better stats than the other three uh, players that, that were finalists. So I, I think it's, it's getting tougher for an OU player to really be considered here, especially since we don't frequently have a pitcher that also bats full-time as well. And I think, uh, I think it was the Clemson pitcher. that got a little bit of boost uh, that got her into that player of the year finalist there. I'm sure well-deserved, but yeah, I think it's just hard for fans to uh, not just OU fans. I think OU fans appreciate Jada Coleman, but fans of the sport media of the sport to mm-hmm. see what's happening right in front of them on a team that has so many great players. Well, and I think that, I mean, that's obviously not something that Jada can control. Um, that's just kind of the situation that she's in right now, because I, I mean, like you said that you make a really good point in the fact that this softball team has been so dominant, especially over the last 10 years or so that, you know, people just simply expect, okay, Oklahoma's 51 and one Jada Coleman's, you know, kicking ass Jordy ball, uh, you know, Nicole may Alex Duraco. I mean, yeah, they're doing what they do. They win again, another home run, but uh, I mean, you, you look at, at what Jada Coleman has done this year. I mean, the true definition of a five-tool player uh, in, in baseball or softball, I mean, she, she checks all five of those boxes. But again, when you, when you look at what Oklahoma softball has built, the consistency, the dominance, I mean, it's really not something that, you know, we've seen that, you know, that often, you know, in, in sports as a whole. I mean, UConn women's basketball maybe is another one. Tigers running golf. You know, in the early 2000s, you know, the, the Alabama dynasty, the Yankees 27, uh, you know, World Series championships. Um, it's just something that if you and Patty's kind of talked about it a little bit, too. If you take Jada Coleman out of the lineup and you plug somebody else in there, you're going to lose a little bit on defense. You're going to lose a little bit in the lineup. But this team is so stacked and there's so much depth and talent that Oklahoma's not going to miss a beat. 
but it's the fact that when you do have Jade in the lineup and you, you just you it raises the game of the entire team. And it's you know, it's not just about how good she is in the field. It's not just about how good she is in the batter's box. It's the impact that she has on, you know, the other girls on that roster and on the fan base. Uh, because, you know, she's the straw that stirs the drink. She's the energizer bunny. Uh, and it all starts uh, with Jada Coleman. And again, I tweeted it out from our account earlier today. Okay. You know what? You you don't think that I'm worthy of being national player of the year? Okay. I'm going to go win a third national championship, and that's going to start this weekend against Hofstra on Friday. Is it time to talk baseball? Yeah, let's talk baseball, <laughs> man. We're inside the uh, we're inside the field of 64. Things are things are turning. Things are changing for us. No optimism. Yeah, no optimism. Extra optimism needed. Oh, you got the sweep of Gonzaga this this weekend. It wasn't always pretty. Uh, Friday's game was a little bit bumpy, but Sooners went up to uh, Spokane, took care of business there, mm-hmm. raised a little bit in the RPI. Um, Gonzaga's not necessarily the best team this year, but ERA did what you needed to do there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. ERA took a little bit of a hit there, but um, fortunately, teams aren't measured on that. But you do mm-hmm. you do have a good point there in regards to D one baseball had OU projected into the field at this point. Uh, Baseball America had OU in the field. I think there was one more service out there that had OU in mm-hmm. the field. Um, that's a pretty big difference. I think only maybe one or two of those did last week. Now there's u- unanimous uh, unanimity. I don't know. That's not a word. But everyone unanimously thinks OU's in the field. Now I know some think that OU need to needs to win two out of three in this series against Bedlam to solidify that because um, – that would push them below 500, or I guess it would put them probably right at 500 in Big 12 play. It would put them at seventh in the conference if OU is not able to, to win that series. And so I guess you look at that and go, okay, is the committee going to take seven Big 12 teams? That's something normally that's reserved for SEC and the bias. So we look forward to getting that uh, benefit of the doubt going forward. But um, maybe the Big 12 will get that this year because uh, it's a little bit more balanced uh, teams there. So We'll see what happens, but a lot of scenarios that could play out here over the weekend where there could even be a five-way tie for second place in the Big 12. Mm-hmm. If OU is able to sweep OSU, then and a couple of other things go their way as well. Uh, OU would hold the tiebreaker by by what I know at this point as far as OU having wins over series in Texas, series at OSU, series against yeah. TCU. So mm-hmm. it, it's possible that OU could rise quite a bit as well. Well, Adam, obviously we still have one more weekend left in the regular season, so it might be too early. It might be a little bit premature to answer this question, but is it as simple as if OU goes out there and takes two out of three or even sweeps Oklahoma State and Norman this weekend, does that lock OU in to a postseason berth, or is this a situation where OU needs to keep the momentum going, take two out of three against the Pokes, and then find themselves in a Big 12 uh, tournament format where they need to take one or two games to really feel confident about the fact that when selection Sunday does roll around, Oklahoma can, can relax a little bit knowing that they're going to have one of those 64 spots. If you get swept, I think they definitely need to do something. It's without question. They need to do something in big 12, maybe even win it at that point. Mm-hmm. They're at 35 right now in the RPI. If they can take one out of the three games, I think Tiffy, I think you definitely need to win a couple of games. Hopefully you can get a good draw, get some RPI boost, maybe Texas or something like that mm-hmm. in the Big 12 tournament. If you take two out of three, I think I'm I'm feeling pretty solid that, hey, you could lose the opening game against Kansas, for example, and and, and feel fine about it. Because um, 35 in the RPI, I think two wins against OSU does give you a nice boost there. And if you're in the top 30, I'm feeling pretty good about no matter what, as long as you're in that top 30. Uh, it really doesn't matter what you do in the Big 12 tournament. Yeah. So again, and we've kind of talked about this over the past three weeks. It's a little bit redundant at this point, but OU, at, you know, and I give them credit because at the Baylor series, 
uh, the podcast right after that, I said, I've got my shovel full of dirt standing over the grave of this team and I'm ready to throw it on the casket. But this team has, has battled back and they have destiny in their own hands. And so credit to them. OSU is going to be a, a really tough opponent to take two out of three. That ball club is really good. But hey, OU has the ability to control their destiny there. Quick question for you here. Obviously, coming off of a, a three-game sweep over Gonzaga where the uh, the lineup, the, the bats really came to life. Oklahoma's got some good momentum right now in the lineup with the way that they're swinging the bats. But if you're Skip Johnson going into this weekend, when looking at this OU pitching staff, and again, it wasn't Oklahoma's best performance out in Spokane uh, on the mound. So going up against your arch rival in Bedlam this upcoming weekend, do you make any changes, uh, whether it's with your starting rotation? Do you choose to maybe limit uh, a little bit of relief appearances from a certain guy. But I guess basically what it boils down to, if you're Skip Johnson, do you tweak your pitching at all this weekend or you pretty much just ride with what's gotten you to this point so far? I think a lot of people have looked at Braxton Douthat and what he's looked like the last couple of weeks or so, maybe even over the last month really. And it hasn't been what we saw from him back in April, March timeframe when he right. kind of took over and said, hey, I'm the number one guy on this staff. He's, he's walked a lot of guys. He's had a little bit you know, of trouble with some of the control there. I think it's really tough at this point in the season to switch it up, though, especially with a series that moves up to a Thursday start. Um, I, I think trying to move those guys around is going to be a little bit challenging there. So I think you ride with what you have there. But I think one of the keys to defeating Oklahoma State is just if Braxton go out and throw some strikes, I think that's going to help tremendously. Trust your defense. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at the weather report on Friday, the wind, wind should be blowing from east to west, and it's only going to be about six miles an hour, so that's not a whole lot. But maybe that that catches a few balls that normally would go out of play uh, because Oklahoma State is a team that can really hit the long ball. But I think you know with, with the outfield that OU has, it's got to be one of the fastest, probably one of the top, if Most not athletic. the top. Most athletic. Yeah. Uh, best defensive outfields in the entire country. So, I, and you've got Dakota Harris now back. He's been back for a little while, but I think there's some some good feeling around what the defense is behind you as a pitcher right now. So throw strikes, trust your defense. I think you need an extended outing out of Braxton Douthat because um, you want to be able to save this bullpen. And you've gotten great outings out of Braden Carmichael and Jamie Hitt lately, and I think you feel good about those guys going multiple innings. But this Oklahoma State team, and we saw it last time when they they did the midweek game in Stillwater, they put up 19 runs against OU. And I don't think, yeah, there was no starter that actually played in that game. So they saw some of our backups like Will Carson and and mm. some others as well that they'll probably see throughout the weekend. <clears throat> but um, I think you definitely want to be, and we've seen Skip kind of leave guys in too long or or take guys out too early, but I think he needs to be on the ball to you know, really say, hey, if, you know, if Braxton's getting given up multiple run after multiple run, I think you've got to be able to say, hey, Let's limit the momentum. Let's slow this game down. And if we need to make a change to get him off the mound after inning two or whatever it is, like mm-hmm. we got to do what we got to do here because um, these games can get away from you pretty quickly. Oh, you still put up eight runs in that midweek game in Stillwater, lost by 11. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a team that can Ugh. really run away from you pretty quickly if you're not very careful and, uh, and slowing them down momentum-wise. Mm-hmm. Well, it is a big weekend for uh, both Diamond Sports uh, this upcoming weekend in Norman. So, obviously, the Norman Regional for OU Softball is sold out. So, Sooner fans, if you're in the area, Oklahoma City, you know, uh, even up in Dallas, you know, come up. It is a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series against Bedlam this upcoming weekend at Eldale Mitchell Go Park. to Home Run so, Village. 
home run. Come village. to baseball. You can make go to both. A, make it a crazy environment. Make it a fun weekend. Bring the kids out there. Uh, Adam's going to be out there. So swing by, say hi. Johnny Baseball is going to be in attendance as well. Shout out to Johnny Baseball, friend of the program. But yeah, Adam, that's all I got. It's going to be a fun weekend. Uh, it's going to be uh, hopefully pretty stressful over or stress free. I should say at Marita Hines Field, and we'll see if we can't take at least two out of three from the Pokes uh, and send their happy asses back to Stillwater. Let's do it. No more Adams optimism for the rest of the season. Let's win this series against Bedlam, and uh, hopefully we'll have some more fun things to talk about next week, as always. So we appreciate everyone listening, and we will see everyone again next week for another episode of the Mainline Podcast. <laughs>